welcome to another episode of Pilates Elephants. So great to be here with you. I'm Raphael Bender. Today, I want to talk about money mindsets. And this is really the second in a series of uh, episodes. I think there'll be three in total where I want to talk about um, limiting beliefs or unhelpful mindsets. Uh, because I think these things are holding a lot of people back, certainly have I have been held back by these, a lot of these in the past, uh, and I've found ways to overcome many of these for myself, and uh, I want to share them with you so that you can overcome them if you uh, experience them. All right, so uh, in no particular order, but I've got five money mindsets here that I want to talk about, and essentially these are money-based elephants in the room. So these are, I think, incorrect beliefs that uh, many people hold. I certainly held all of these beliefs at one point. Um, and I think these beliefs prevent people from making a lot more money than what they're currently making. So these beliefs keep you poor, basically. The first money mindset is that incorrect money mindset, is that you need more streams of income to make more income. Now, this is the this is the notion that, okay, well, if I make, you know, $1,000 from teaching classes, and if I also add, you know, a couple of hundred dollars from selling grip socks, and maybe we'll sell smoothies and do retreats, and I'll start an online on-demand platform, and we'll get a massage therapist in to rent space at the back of the studio, and I'll contract out some other space to another instructor. Uh, you know, this is, or maybe we'll teach corporate classes as well. The or you know, the, the most common, I think, the most common manifestation of this is the Pilates studio that also does gyrotonic and bar and TRX and hit and, 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 and whatever, you know, yoga and Zenga and fascial fitness and stretch therapy. And, you know, you've got a 101 different classes. And so all of this, I think, is rooted in the, the, the incorrect belief that more streams of income equals more income. Now, it's kind of, you know, it is kind of intuitive to think about this, that more streams of income would equal more income, but it's not how reality works. So it does kind of make sense to think, oh, right, well, if I can, you know, if I make a dollar from Pilates and a dollar from bar and, you know, I'll have people come to the bar class that wouldn't come to the Pilates class, so I'll get more clients. And then I'll have different people come to the yoga class and I'll have different people buy grip socks and, you know, so we're sort of appealing to a broader range of people. But here's the thing. You, you don't need a broader range of people. You need to be super clear on who you help and you need to solve a very painful problem for those people and solve it really well. And you will have a fanatical audience of people who want to pay you more money to keep giving them what you already gave them, but just give me, give it to me again. <laughs> give, you know, sell me that same thing again, right? Sell me more of what you already sold me. It's, it's, a, it's an erroneous belief to think that having more clients or more more 
income streams will give you more clients. And in fact, you probably don't need more clients. You probably need to sell more stuff to your existing clients at a higher price. All of the most, all of the biggest businesses in the world, like if you think of a business like Amazon that, you know, sells everything under the sun, okay, they started selling just books. It was an online bookstore. If you think about Apple, they started with just the Apple One computer. They only had one product. And, you know, we could, the list could go on. Coke started with Coke. Now they've got a million and one drinks and other brands. Ford started with just the Model T. Companies that grow huge start out by servicing one, solving one problem for one client avatar. And they they get to, you know, several hundred million dollars a year before they introduce their second product. So this is not a case of, oh, they're doing $2,000 a month and they think, oh, I think we've tapped out the market. <laughs> we better introduce another product. When you specialize in a single product, you actually make more money because your expertise grows. When you think if you sell for three things for $100 instead of only selling one thing, you'll make three times as much money. But that's not true because when you sell one thing, you'll actually sell more of it because there's less work to market one thing, right? If you're, if you're marketing Pilates and bar and gyrotonic and yoga and Zynga and fascial fitness and stretch class and blah, 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 well, that's like seven different marketing campaigns you've got to do because if the assumption is, well, different people will come to Zynga than come to Pilates or stretch class, right? Well, you've got to do three different marketing campaigns for those three different classes. And if you're marketing them to the same people, well, why do the same people need three different classes? The reality is it's much easier to make three sales of the same thing rather than to make three sales of three different things. It's less, there's less marketing involved. You don't, it's much easier to sell more of what you already sold them because you already know they like it, right? So much better than getting, you know, grip socks or, you know, some other form of class is to figure out who is your ideal client, what painful and urgent problem can you solve for those people, and how can you sell them more of that at a higher price, All right, I'm going to leave you with that. You don't need massage rooms, grip socks, apparel, drink bottles, or a cafe. You need a great to be great at executing on your core value proposition. And that would be solving a painful and urgent problem for people who have money, time, and the will to pay for that problem. Go read my book if you want to know more about that, How to Make $100,000 Teaching Pilates. Buy it through the show notes for $4.99. All right, so the second money mindset is, which is erroneous, is that when you charge high, high prices, it somehow takes something away from the client. This, the notion here is that charging more takes something away from the client, like it, and it presents as something like, I want to make my classes more affordable or accessible, or I want to have fair prices. And 
what all of these things are are an indicator of what's called zero-sum thinking. That zero-sum thinking essentially is where you believe there's a certain amount of value, a certain size pie, okay, and when you charge more, you know, that means there's less left over for the client. So that's the zero-sum. There's only so much value to go around, and when you take more of that value, that means the client gets less of that value. Now, that is not true, Here's why. When you charge higher prices, people actually get better results, even if you change nothing else about how you deliver that service. When you charge a higher price, people are more committed. Like they they are more committed financially, so they become more committed emotionally to using that product. They're more likely to use it. They're more likely to, to do the work and therefore more likely to get results. So simply charging more actually increases the value of what you do. Now, beyond that, when you charge more, you are able to provide better service. Like, think about it. If you see 10 clients for $10 each versus one client for $100, how much more time could you spend with that one with that one client, right? How much more custom program could you write them? How much more could you text them? Accountability? Could you, you know, create a personalized, you know, home-based workout, create a personalized home-based video follow-along workout with their custom cues for when they can't make it to session? You know, like there are so many extra things that you could do for your clients if you charged more because you wouldn't have to see so many clients. You'd have more time available to do better quality work. So when you charge higher prices, there's what happens is something called the virtuous cycle of high pricing. And that is where simply by charging higher prices, you get a greater commitment, a greater buy-in, literally a greater buy-in from the clients. Therefore, they try harder and persist longer. Therefore, they get better results. And because you have now more profit per client, you can see fewer clients for more money and you now have more time to lavish on each client to help them get even better results. And because they get better results, they go and tell their friends, okay, and their friends want to come and pay you high prices and so it goes. And that is the virtuous cycle of high pricing. So when you, when you, it's not a zero sum game. When you charge a high price, it doesn't take something away from the client. It actually creates more value. It makes the pie bigger when you charge more money. So rather than being a zero-sum game, it's what's called a positive-sum game. So charging more actually increases the size of the pie. So that's because of the virtuous cycle of high prices. So it's not true that when you charge more money, somehow it takes something away from the client. Now, what about making those classes accessible? And, you know, I want, you know, poor people to be able to use my classes. Well, that is admirable. So why would you charge rich people tiny prices <laughs> the same as poor people? Why not charge rich people high prices and then go and give a, give a discount for poor people or teach poor people for free on the weekend? Why make your class cheap for everybody 
why rob people of those those rich people who want results and want to pay for the results? Why not offer them that service? And then with all of the time and money that you now have, why not go and give a community class and help those poor people okay, rather than giving everything away and then you being a poor person too? The next money mindset I want to address is this notion of the value of a session. And there are two components to this. The first is that there is such a thing as a an absolute or objective value to a session. And the second is that the value of a session has something to do with how hard you work or how much you care or what qualifications you have. So first, I want to think about the value of a session. Like, what is in the value of a session? You know, what is the, quote, fair value of a Pilates session? Well, I don't think there is such a thing as a fair value of a Pilates session. I think that's a meaningless concept. Uh, and here's why. One, Pilates sessions don't have a fixed value. They have different value to different people at different times. For somebody who has terrible debilitating back pain that's preventing them working, playing with their kids or doing their chores, if you can solve that back pain for them in six weeks, that is worth a lot of money to that person. Whereas for somebody with zero back pain who's quite happy and already has an exercise routine, that Pilates session is probably worth a lot less or possibly worth nothing. And the only difference here is the person, right? The Pilates session is the same. You're the same. The equipment's the same. The only difference is the person. So the difference in the value between those that those sessions to those two different people has nothing to do with the sessions. It's got everything to do with who values that session or doesn't value it. So different. So sessions have a different value to different people at different times. Now, that same person who has their wonderful exercise routine and has no back pain and is going along happy as Larry and has, sees no particular reason why they should do Pilates and so hence wouldn't pay you to do Pilates, like they don't value the session, right? It's not valuable to them. Well, if they hurt their back and all of a sudden now they can't do their normal exercise routine and they believe that Pilates will help them, maybe their doctor says go do Pilates, now that Pilates becomes very valuable to that person. So the same session can have a different value to the same person at different times. So there is no inherent value of a session. There's no objective value of a Pilates session. It's worth a different amount to different people at different times. What's more, there's no such thing as a fair value of a Pilates session. And here's why. If you put your prices up beyond what someone's willing to pay, they won't pay it. It would be unfair if you were to force someone to pay a higher price, if you were to compel them to pay a higher price, but you can't compel them to pay a higher price. (laughs) They'll just go around the corner to the competitor who's cheaper, or they'll just stop doing it, or they'll do free workouts online, or they'll go to personal training instead, or they'll take up yoga. 
you can't compel someone to pay a price that's higher than what they think is reasonable. So for that person who doesn't have back pain and has a perfectly you know, regular exercise routine and feels fantastic and doesn't see any particular reason why they should do Pilates, you could tell them the sessions are $100,000 an hour. That wouldn't be unfair because they don't care, <laughs> right? And the same with that person who has debilitating back pain and ter- you know, desperately wants to do the Pilates sessions. You could say, oh, the $10,000 an hour, and they would, what would they do? They'd go, no, nah, that's not worth it. I'd rather have the back pain. <laughs> so, you know, and they might think you're an idiot, right? But it's not unfair because they have no compu- they have no compulsion to do the sessions. They don't have to do the sessions. They can just say no. <laughs> They'll look elsewhere. So you can't charge an unfair price. Now, you can rip someone off if you promise to deliver a certain result and then you take money from them, you know based on that promise to deliver that result, and then you don't deliver the result, right? If you say, hey, I'm going to sell you this car, and then you take the money and don't give them the car, that's that's ripping off, right? But that's not what you're doing. You're saying, hey, I'm going to help you with this result. I'm going to help you get rid of your back pain. And they come along and you help them get rid of their back pain, right? So you can't rip somebody off if you deliver what you promised to deliver at the price you promised to deliver it at. Now, on the other hand, you can rip someone off if you don't deliver the result you promised, regardless of what you charge. So if you're charging 10 cents an hour, right, and you say, hey, come and do Pilates with me for 10 cents an hour and I'll get rid of your back pain. They come do Pilates for 10 cents an hour and you don't get rid of their back pain, right? Well, I reckon that's ripping them off. So I think ripping off has nothing to do with how much you charge and everything to do with whether you deliver on the promise that you make. All right, so you you can't... Yeah, charging high prices, you know, there's no such thing as a, a, a fair value for Pilates sessions because, number one, the value of the sessions is – there's no such thing as an objective value. That you, there's no, like, measurable value where we can say, oh, this session is worth this much and that session is worth that, worth that much. That's a meaningless concept without saying who it's worth that much to, right? So a Pilates session has a different value to different people at different times, so there is no kind of, quote, objective, end quote, value to a Pilates session. Secondly, you can't rip people off because they will just choose not to pay, right? You can't make them pay. Even the person with terrible back pain, they can say, no, I'd I'd rather have the back pain than the $10,000, thanks. I'll go around the corner. Now, the second thing that I want to address here is the fact that even when you exchange that value with somebody. So just say that person, you know, buys a Pilates session off you. Well, to that person, the value of the session is actually different to the to the value of a session to you. Here's what I mean. And I got this from someone called Blair Entz, who uh, wrote a book called Pricing Creativity. He's a designer. He's got nothing to do with Pilates, but he's thought long and deeply on pricing. And he's written a book called Pricing Creativity, which I uh, have on my shelf here and I love. It's a fantastic book. Look him up on YouTube. Blair Entz, E-N-N-S. Uh, he's Canadian. A. All right. So what Blair Entz says in Pricing Creativity is something called the double thank you. And the double thank you goes like this. When we transact business, okay, when you when you sell a Pilates session to a client, they give you money, you give them a Pilates session. Both the buyer and the seller 
feel that they got the better of the deal. They both feel better off. And they shake hands, you shake hands at the end and say, thank you. And you both mean it. You both think, ha, huh, I got a great deal. Now, here's how that works. When someone pays you $100 to do a Pilates session, what that means is they value the session more than $100. Or put another way, they would rather have the session than have the $100. That's what it means to value something more than $100. You'd rather have it than have the $100, right? Conversely, you value the $100 more than you value the session, right? You would rather have the $100 (laughs) than not have the session, right? So you value the money more than the hour. They value the hour more than the money, right? So to the client, that session by definition is worth more than $100 because otherwise they wouldn't pay you $100 for it. To you, by definition, that session is worth less than $100 because if you could make $110 for a session, right, if you had clients lined up around the block wanting to pay you $110 for a session and I walked in and said, I'll give you $100 for a session, you would say, no, I don't work for $100 because that hour to me is worth $110. So the hour is worth more than the $100. I don't want your money, right? So the only circumstance under which you're willing to exchange your hour for $100 is where the $100 is worth more to you than the hour, right? Because otherwise you'd rather have the hour. If you'd rather have the $100 than have the hour, that means the $100 is worth more to you than the hour. So when you achieve the double thank you with the client, what that means is you've sold them something that is worth less than $100 for $100. And they've bought something off you that's worth more than $100 for $100, right? And it's the same thing that you've bought and sold. To you, it's worth less than $100. To them, it's worth more than $100. And so the double thank you tells us that the value of the good or service that you're you're selling, right, in this case, Pilates sessions, is different between the buyer and the seller. It's, It's worth less to the seller and more to the buyer. Otherwise, no transaction will take place. If you think that hour is worth $110, you won't sell it for $100. If me as the client thinks that hour is only worth $90, I won't buy it for $100. Right? If there's a Pilates studio next door that I think is exactly the same as your studio, they're offering the same session for $90, I'm going to go there. Right? I won't pay the $100. So the double thank you tells us that even not, even, not only is the value not the same between different clients at different times. The value is actually not the same between the client and the Pilates instructor. So we each have our own version of how much a session is worth. All right. The next thing, the next part of this is that uh, the, you know, the value of your sessions has something to do with how hard you work or how much you care or what qualifications you have. And I think, you know, this manifests, I see this a lot where people say like, I'm worth this much because I've worked hard to attain these skills and I've got lots of qualifications and I've got, you know, amazing equipment and I've, you know, I really care about my clients and I make a lot of effort with them and stuff like that. Now, all of those things are great, right? I'm a big, big advocate of study. I'm a big, big advocate of caring about your clients. I'm a big advocate of working hard. I think all of those things are admirable and I aspire to do all of those things myself. However, That's not what makes you valuable. Think about this. 
from your own perspective as a consumer. When you go to the dentist, if that dentist didn't fix your tooth, you know, you leave that you go to the dentist because you've got a sore tooth, you leave your tooth is still sore. But the dentist is a wonderful, kind, loving person who really cares, has great qualifications, and has spent decades studying and learning their craft. Would you consider that to be a valuable use? You know, would you pay extra for that session because of all those qualifications the dentist has? Would you would you think, oh, that was a great session, I'd pay extra for that? No, you'd think, what a ripoff, they didn't fix my tooth. Right? You don't care when you're a consumer, you don't care about the qualifications of the person you're buying the thing off or how hard they work or how much they care or where they studied. What you care is, can they solve your problem? Right? When you buy a pair of leggings and you pay whatever price you pay for them, $150, I don't know how much leggings are, $100, whatever you pay, do you, do you pay that because you care how hard the person worked who designed them, who manufactured them, who transported them, who sold them to you? Do you care about the qualifications, like all of the night school they went to, to learn to design clothes? Or do you buy those leggings because they look good <laughs> and you know they're going to last? Okay, you buy them because they deliver a result to you as a consumer. You don't care about any of those things about you know the qualifications, how much the person cares, you know how long they studied for, what tools they use. You don't care. And in the same way, your clients don't care about any of those things when it comes to buying Pilates. They don't care where you study. They don't care what qualifications you have. They don't care how hard you work. What they care is, can you fix their back pain? Can you help them stand up straighter? Can you rehab their shoulder? Okay, they care about getting a result. That's why they come to you. So the value of your sessions has nothing to do with how hard you work or how much you care or what qualifications you have. It has to do with how much you can, what kind of results you can deliver to people, right? If you can deliver a very valuable result to somebody, that session's worth a lot of money. Like we said before, if you can deliver a, you know, significantly less painful back to somebody who's got debilitating back pain and can't work, that is a very valuable session. Now, if this is your first day out of Pilates school and you only worked for 10 minutes and gave them a generic program and they still got better, they would still consider that to be the, one of the most valuable exercise sessions they do in their whole life. They'll still be telling people about it a decade hence. Right? They don't care about your qualifications or any of those other things. They care about the results that you deliver. So the value of your sessions has absolutely zero to do with you as a person or even you as a professional. It's got to do with what you deliver. Now, all of those things that we said, you know, your qualifications, how much you care, how hard you work, all of those things can contribute to you delivering amazing results. But they don't always, Right. You could be highly experienced and really care, but just not have thought carefully enough yet about what painful and urgent problem you're going to solve for people. And maybe you haven't got the right clients. 
you know, maybe you don't have people who have an urgent and painful problem and maybe, or maybe they have a problem, but they don't have the money or the time or the will to solve that problem. Okay. Maybe you're trying to solve a problem for people who don't have a problem, or maybe you're trying to solve a problem for people who can't afford to pay you to solve the problem. In which case, all the qualifications, hard work and care in the world won't make your sessions valuable. So what should you do? Well, find people who have an urgent and painful problem. Figure out a Pilates-based solution to that problem. uh, And make sure those people have money, time and the will to solve the problem. Then go tell them about your solution and make sure you price it with a couple of extra zeros on the end. And if you want to learn how to do that, read my book. It's in the show notes, $4.99, How to Make $100,000 a Year Teaching Pilates. All right, the last money mindset I want to deal with here is money doesn't make you happy. Or I want to actually kind of, I'm going to smoosh a couple here. Money doesn't make you happy and money somehow makes you a bad, wanting money somehow makes you a bad person. All right. So um, either, both of these are patently not true. Now there's empirical research on this, uh, but I have experienced it in my own life. Like when I was, when I was young, uh, like a kid, you know, my mum was a single mum in the seventies working odd jobs, you know, we frequently didn't have enough food in the house, we didn't have a car, we walked everywhere, Um, you know, we had a house, we weren't destitute, Uh, but, you know, like there were, I remember many times the last two days of the week, it was like the cupboards were literally bare, right? Not a sob story, I don't care, I'm happy, I'm healthy, (laughs) I I don't have any regrets, but, so I've been, you know, I've been poorish, okay, and, yeah, now I'm pretty well off. You know, our company made three hundred thousand dollars last month, right? And I tell you, which I prefer, <laughs> I prefer having money. When you don't have money, you think about money a lot because you, when you're standing in line at the supermarket, you're wondering if your credit card's going to decline if you get that extra liter of milk, or you, you know, you're trying to drive your car nice and slow so you don't have to fill up in petrol because you don't get paid until Wednesday, right? And you've only, you're not sure if you'll make it home. Like, you think about money a lot when you don't have enough, okay? You, you, you're scraping for change down the back of the sofa to think, can I afford to buy dinner tonight? Well, that's not fun. <laughs> when, you, when you have more money, you, none of those, all those things disappear in a puff of smoke. You, I never worry when I'm standing in the supermarket checkout line if my credit card's going to decline because it never does. I never, never, never look at the price of petrol. I never even look at the price of a pair of jeans or a t-shirt. You know, and now that's a pretty, you know, I, in some circles, that's a pretty modest standard of luxury. And I'm certainly no billionaire, but, you know, for me, when I look in my wardrobe and I think, oh, my t-shirt's a bit threadbare, I might order some more. And I guess to go and order 10 more t-shirts and I don't even care what the price is. To me, that's awesome because... I don't, I don't have to worry about it. There's no, there's zero worry there. I don't care. And I very much remember what it felt like to, to, to have that worry, to have that anxiety. And now it's just completely absent. There's just a, a wonderful, clear, empty space where that anxiety used to be. 
just full of sunlight and happy penguins doing dances. So, you know, can does money make you happy? Well, I wouldn't say it makes you happy like, you know, love makes you happy, but I think it makes you happy in a different way. You know, it it solves money problems, right? And money problems can make you unhappy. And when you have money, they go away. So all of those sources of unhappiness disappear. So if you fight with your spouse about money, well, money's going to solve that. But if you fight with your spouse about other things, money won't solve it because money doesn't solve other problems. It only solves money problems, right? So, you know, you can still have a bad relationship if you've got money. <laughs> you can still have, you know, unfulfilled life or whatever, but you just don't have money problems. So it removes, removes a major source of stress. You know, if your tooth hurts, you just go get it fixed. If your car breaks down, you just get it repaired. If you need new T-shirts, you just buy them. You know, when your laptop dies, you just buy a new one. Right? And you don't even have to, have to look at the price. And that is a major source of stress that just doesn't exist for me and won't exist for you when you have money or if you have money already. And so the, the final part of that is money you know, makes you a bad person. Oh, sorry, sorry, I just I do want to add a little bit more there about that. So money, you know, money, having money removes money as a source of stress. The other thing that having money has done for me is give me options, gives me freedom. You know, I can jump on a plane and go overseas. I can, you know, take time off work. I can, you know, take up a new hobby. I can start lessons. I can buy a new bit of gym gear for exercising. I can buy a new bicycle, you know, and it just gives me options that, you know, my wife and I can go out for dinner if we don't feel like cooking, which is most nights. You know, so it just gives you options in your life. It gives you freedoms it doesn't give you every option, but it it means that, you know, your options are not limited by finances in the way that they were before. So I think, and that to me, that is very, very liberating. All right. The final thing is here, or the second part of this is make, you know, the second sort of incorrect belief I think here is that money makes you a bad person you know, or wanting money or making money somehow makes you a bad person. I don't think there's anything wrong at all with wanting to make money. I think the idea that money makes you a bad person, I think has two roots. One is the idea that we talked about before, that there's a zero-sum equation, that when you charge more money, you actually somehow take something away from the client. And, you know, we already said that's not true because of the virtuous cycle of high prices, right? So for me as a consumer, right, so just putting my consumer hat on now, I would much rather buy a $6,000 laptop that I know is not going to let me down than a $2,000 laptop that I'm not sure is if it's going to let me down, right? I consider that extra $4,000 money well spent, right? I don't feel at all ripped off by Apple, by Apple, sorry, as I record on this on my $6,000 laptop right now. Now, I don't feel ripped off. I've got a good deal. It's a double thank you. Okay? Steve Jobs is happy. I'm happy. There was no rip off. There's no zero sum. Right? It's a positive sum. I'm able to provide you, my listener, more value because I'm doing better work faster on a computer that really freaking flies. It's a great unit. <laughs> I'm happy. Right? I don't feel ripped off. So your clients will feel the same. When you 
charge high prices through the virtuous cycle of high prices, your clients won't feel ripped off and you're not – so wanting to make more money doesn't make you a bad person, right? You're not taking away from any any other person, right? I'm sure, dear listener, you ha- you own expensive things, right? Maybe you don't, don't own a lot of expensive things, but I'm sure you own something that was expensive, right? Whether it's a pair of shoes or a computer or, you know, your activewear collection, <laughs> Whatever it is, right? So, you, you know, you've got something, your car, okay, your house, you've got something, okay, or you, the first class holiday you took last year, there's something where you bought the, the, you know, the top of the line, okay, or an expensive version, okay? And I reckon there's a really good chance you don't feel ripped off on that purchase. You feel like you've got a, you're really happy with your purchase, you've got great value, okay? And that's what your clients will feel like too, when you give great value. Right, so wanting to make money doesn't make you a bad person. It just makes you someone who wants to make money, right? It's not good or bad. It's just it's just a thing, right? My wife likes to, likes it to be 23 degrees in, in the house. I like it to be 19, right? Does that make her a bad person or a good person? No, it's just she's someone who likes it to be 23 degrees, right? Like it's, there is no ethical valence to wanting to make money. You're not taking anything away from people. What you're doing is actually creating more value by charging that high price. And then guess what? You take that money that you earned and you spend it somewhere, right? You give it to somebody else and they create value for you in turn. And so it goes. So wanting to make money doesn't make you a bad person. And having money doesn't make you a bad person. It doesn't make you greedy. Uh, In my observation, I haven't seen research on this, but in my observation, it doesn't make you greedy. It doesn't make you generous. It just amplifies or enables, I think is a better word, whatever you already were, right? If you're already greedy, well, now you've got even more opportunity to be greedy because you've got more stuff. <laughs> if you were generous before you had money and now you've got money, well, you're going to be, you've got more stuff to give away now, right? You've got more opportunity for generosity. So all it's going to do is bring out what was already there. Okay, money has no moral valence to it. It has no moral value. It's not good. It's not bad. It just It's just a medium of exchange. So in conclusion, dear listeners, uh, these five money mindsets that you need more streams of income to make more income, not true. You need to specialize in solving a single problem for a, people who've got time, money, and the will to pay for that problem. When you charge high prices, it takes something away from the client. Not true. Through the virtuous cycle of high pricing, when you charge more, you actually provide more value, better results, and that creates a virtuous cycle because then you get more clients that you can charge more prices and get more results through the notion of the double thank you. The value of recessions has something to do with how hard you work or how much you care or what qualifications you have. Not true. The value of recessions has nothing to do with any of those things. It's got to do with the results you provide to a person, the value of a session is unique to a specific person at a specific time. And what's more, the value of a session is different to the buyer and to the seller. The buyer will value it higher than the seller. Otherwise, no transaction will take place. Finally, money doesn't make you happy. Not true. Money does make you happy. If you have money worries, it removes them. 
it also gives you freedom, gives you options. Now, money can't make you infinitely happy, but I've had no money and I've had money and I can tell you which one I prefer. Finally, making money or wanting to make money makes you a bad person. Not true because wanting to make money doesn't take or making money doesn't take anything away from anyone else. When someone buys something that is of high value, they consider they have got a good bargain through the double thank you. Both buyer and seller consider themselves better off. I'm better off. Steve Jobs is better off. Okay, you're better off. And whoever sold you whatever it is that you value is also better off, presumably. So wanting money is not a bad thing. It's not a good thing. It's just a thing. Some people like chocolate cake. Some people like the thermostat at 23 degrees. Some people like money. None of those things is good or bad. They're just things. And finally, money doesn't make you a good or a bad person. It doesn't make you anything. It just amplifies, you know, just enables whatever tendencies you already had. Money is a medium of exchange. So when you have more of it, you can do more of what you already did. All right, my friends, I hope you found that useful. I hope you found it interesting. I'd love to know your feedback. Reach out to me on Instagram as a DM. Love to know what you think. Uh, DM me. The My Instagram link is in the show notes. And uh, I think I have one more of these solo casts on um, limiting beliefs. And I think that one is on how to deal with uncomfortable emotions. So let me know. Did you hate this? Did you love it? Uh, and uh, I'll react accordingly. Okay. Much love. See ya. After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means You keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification 
menu in our uh, link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.